Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, do we have any fans of old country music here this morning? All right, that's good. We got, we got some. All right, anybody remember the song, Oh Lord, It's Hard to Be Humble? All right. Oh Lord, It's Hard to Be Humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. (laughs) To know me is to love me. I must be a hell of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble. But I'm doing the best that I can. Now, the lyrics of the, the song are, of course, a spoof. It's a joke. It's a parody. And yet, <laughs> man, there's some truth to that, isn't there? We have a high opinion of ourselves. We might not boast like the song boasts, but we, we do think an awful lot of ourselves. Pride comes naturally to us. But humility, eh, not so much. And the thing is, humility is kind of a paradox, isn't it? The more you focus on becoming humble, the less likely you are to be humble. Because you actually become proud of your humility. For instance, Luther tells a story of a Greek philosopher by the name of Diogenes. And Diogenes had a goal of being the most humble man around. So he wouldn't even stay in a house. He cut a barrel in two, used half of that barrel as his shelter to sleep under at night, and he would walk around and show everybody just how humble he was. And on his belt, he had a a cup that hung from his belt and he would take that out and he would get a drink of water using that. And his fame spread all over the land. People knew Diogenes and they knew of his humility. But one day Diogenes saw a young boy and he didn't use a cup to drink the water. He just put his hand in the water and used his hand to scoop up the water. And Diogenes took his cup and he spiked it to the ground and he starts cursing himself because this man who thought he was so utterly humble had been shown up by a little boy. And his pride in his humility, well, that was exposed. In today's gospel reading, Jesus teaches about humility And he does so in three acts. We have three different sections, but it's all kind of the same theme. In the first act, Jesus is gathered for a meal with some of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, Luke tells us, were watching him carefully. Now, what were they watching for? Luke doesn't tell us exactly what they were watching for, but I think you can kind of piece it together pretty easily from the things that we have seen previously. They were watching to see if they could trip him up. They were looking to see if they could catch him breaking their rules. And so they invite Jesus over for a meal. And there just so happens to be a man with dropsy. Jesus, or Luke doesn't tell us how, how this man came to be at the meal, but based on that previous line of them carefully watching, sure smells like a setup, doesn't it? 
See, it's the Sabbath day. And back in Luke chapter 13, Jesus had healed a woman on the Sabbath day. And that caused no shortage of scandal for the Pharisees. The Pharisees were quite proud of their Sabbath obedience. They began with God's law about resting on the Sabbath day, and they had added to it their own laws. So now they see if Jesus is going to abide by their rules. So they, on the Sabbath, invite Jesus over for a meal. It's no accident that he happens to be there for a meal on the Sabbath, and here comes a man who happens to need healing. Sure smells like a trap, doesn't it? Like a setup. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't really seem to care if it was a setup or not. Here's this man in front of him who needs help. So it's the Sabbath day. What is Jesus going to do? Well, he's going to help the man. First, though, Jesus asks, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? The Pharisees, you see, had allowed their pride to cloud their thinking. So they didn't even understand that it was, of course, not against God's law to help somebody in need on the Sabbath day. God never prohibits the acts of love. In fact, love for others is at the very heart of God's law. The Pharisees hear this question from Jesus. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they don't really have an answer. So they just sit there quiet. And Jesus calls the man to him. He heals him. He sends him on his way home. And then he says, which of you who has a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? All right. That's the end of act one. On to act two. In the second act, Jesus sees those in attendance. And they're demonstrating a desperate need to be noticed to be honored. You see, it's, it's hard to be humble, isn't it? And they all want to be noticed. They all want to be honored. And so Jesus tells this parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Let someone more distinguished than you, uh, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who has invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go sit at the lowest place. And when the host comes by, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus tells this parable Uh, that is very similar to what we have in Proverbs, that proverb from Solomon about how, uh, how wise it is not to elevate yourself, but to allow others to be the ones to elevate you. The crazy thing with this whole thing, though, is our sinful pride can actually turn even this on its head. You know, here, I'm going to take the very lowest place because then I will get honored. So even in doing the right thing and approaching it in the right way, we can still find ourselves struggling with that pride. Like, all right, I'm going to take this lowest place and hopefully they'll notice and I'll get moved up. And, and I like how when Jesus says this, he says he, 
the host may do that, right? But can you imagine? I'm going to sit at this lowest place, and that host is going to come and find me, and he's going to move me up, and it never happens. <laughs> and you're just sitting there in the lowest place like, but I should be up there, right? That's our sinful pride. Now, in the third act, Jesus has one more teaching to give. He says, when you give a banquet, a, a, di- a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, Jesus is, by the way, not saying, don't ever have your friends and family over for dinner. That's not his point, right? But he's saying, when you're having a a, a party like this, and you invite only those who can repay you, well, they probably will repay you. But when you invite those who cannot repay you, that's an act of love. Three acts, and all have to do with humility. And from the teaching that Jesus gives here, I think the words of that old country song prove to be true, don't they? It's hard to be humble. Well, then what do we do? How can you actually become humble if focusing on becoming humble leads to not becoming humble? Well, first we have to have an honest assessment of ourselves. You've got to walk yourself through the Ten Commandments and assess how you've been doing in keeping those first. And after you've done that, that's going to knock that pride right out of you. You're going to be left with nothing to say but God be merciful to me, a sinner. After you really assess yourself in light of the Ten Commandments, you don't come away thinking, yeah, I'm pretty good. (laughs) It's hard to be humble. I've done so well keeping the Ten Commandments. No, no, you haven't. Neither have I. The second step is to see others not as those who exist to elevate you or serve you or tell others how great you are, but as people to be loved and served. The second step is to see others as more significant than yourself. Love is the fulfillment of the law, and I think that uh, the 20th century Lutheran theologian William Arndt had a helpful word for us here, where he writes, true love is unselfish. It shows kindness, not to be rewarded, but because of the desire to do good to the one loved. True love is unselfish. It shows kindness, not to be rewarded, but because of a desire to do good to the one loved. See, the way of humility is to seek to love others for their own good, not to, quote-unquote, love others so that we can be considered good or so that we can gain status, or so that we can receive some kind of reward, but simply loving them for their own good. In fact, this perfect love is the love with which Jesus has loved us, isn't it? He humbled himself for our sake. If you ever think somebody is somebody's not worthy of being treated as greater than you, I mean, just think of Jesus. 
Yeah, here is the eternal Son of God in heaven, the one by whom all things were created, who keeps all things sustained, the one who is receiving the worship of angels. And he says, I'm going to treat you as more significant than me. This is what we hear of in in Philippians chapter 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you not look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, it's hard to be humble until you realize what you actually deserve from God, and that is his just punishment. And it's hard to be humble until you realize that the Son of God humbled himself for your sake and mine, and he considered you, with all of your sin, all of your flaws, to be greater than himself. He humbled himself to the point of death on the cross for you and for me. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus, and we learn humility from him. And we look to our neighbor, and we practice humility by treating our neighbor as of greater importance than us. And in so doing, God is glorified. You know, it's interesting. The Pharisees at the very, very beginning, they kind of had it right, didn't they? They were paying careful attention to Jesus. But they were looking for the wrong thing, weren't they? They were looking for Jesus to fit into their scheme, their rules, their way of doing things. But they had the right idea of fixing their eyes on him. So we fix our eyes on Jesus. And in him we see the one who loved us with a love that was undeserved who served us in ways that we could never repay, who treated us as more significant than himself. And having been loved with the love of Jesus, we now seek to love our neighbor as he has loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.